0: Welcome to the Venue Podcast with the Motley Crew from Venue. I'm Josh Benedetto, and around me I've got...
1: William Sellers.
0: Dustin Melissa. And Philip Stefano. And we're, uh... Where's Matt?
1: Oh. Who? What? Matt? Ma- is, 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 Wilson? Matt who? Matt who?
0: What? I, I thought I did a pretty admirable job of I imitating him. Did it,
1: I think you did a Matt Wallace better yeah. than Matt Wallace. Thank Matt you, Wallace. thank you, yes. No, uh, Matt is uh just to let everyone know, Matt is out sick today. Yep. So we have a, a little tighter unit. And we've replaced uh, him with Dustin. Uh, and we've replaced him with our special guest for today, uh Dustin Mulasaw, who is one of the venue's network network engineers. Yep. Senior network engineer. Senior network engineers. So yep. uh later on in the in the podcast we're gonna talk about Nanog. Nanog. Not is Nanook. Nanog.
0: Sounds like a myth monster from myth. anybody? <laughs> no? Um, okay, so let's get us kicked off with some news items. Uh, the first thing uh, we're talking about today is looks like Microsoft uh, pushes uh, Windows Server Next back to 2016.
2: Yeah, that's pretty weird because they usually release the consumer version uh, right alongside the server version, or rather the server version right alongside the consumer version. Um, and they've pushed the, the server version back to 2016, even though Windows 10 is supposed to come out this year, which huh. is which is interesting. Because, so are they
1: actually going to call it Server Next I mean, or is it going to be like they, Windows they called, Server 2016? They
2: call it Server 2012 like Windows Server 8 because yeah. they know what going to call it. I'm sure it's going to be called I wish they would get rid
1: of the, the, the year like Windows Server 2008, 2003 mm-hmm. because you know it's now 2014 and we're still running 2012 and that's the latest version. So I it think, needs to go like – you know. It used to be NT three five one NT four. We just need to get back to that. I'm I think we should call it, go back to calling it NT.
2: I'm fairly certain that's why they they stopped calling the consumer versions like by the year because you know you're still using Windows ninety eight and like,
1: like two thousand. you'd be like I mean, that's I'm right. Two
2: years some two years behind. This makes me feel bad. That's right. Did
1: you ever use Windows two thousand Professional for your desktop like home desktop? No. Media. I had the
2: I had like the beta of the, the Windows 2000 Neptune like the the 2000 for oh, years that like didn't actually yeah. come out. Tried that out. It was pretty weird. I
1: remember I had the uh, when I bought my I forgot what a computer it was, but I had a, a beta for Windows 95, mm-hmm. and that was like awesome. And I still have it because it's got Weezer's um, oh, what was that song by Weezer? Uh, Buddy Holly oh, right. <laughs> on it. The yeah. video on it, and it yeah. had uh, Edie Brickell. Uh, what I am or who I am video on it and nice. it's like oh, I'll just keep it for that nice anyway
0: I think they should change the Windows Server to just call it Windows Server 1 like Xbox One
1: yeah. <laughs> I, don't,
2: no? I don't think we want to start calling server <laughs> stuff by I, I want to go back <laughs> to you NT I
1: yeah. want yeah. to go back to NT it
2: should be called like Windows Server 10 because I mean it's what it is it's the server version of Windows 10 and um, I think they're pushing this back because they're working so hard on all this consumer stuff now, which is weird because, you know, with the, the top of Microsoft now, Satya Nadella, who was from the – he was from the cloud and enterprise group, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Before he yeah. was the CEO. So that's really interesting that they're doing this. What they
1: should do is, is take a cue from another really powerful giant in the operating system industry and call it Windows Server 10 or X. So Windows <laughs> Server X. No. 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 Will. No. I'm just saying. I think it's a good. It's. 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 I think that's a rumor on the street. Mm, yeah. Okay. Anyway.
0: <laughs> Putting big cats on Windows Server. Windows Server lion. <laughs> yeah. Let's. Let's. No. Let's not. Do that. All right. Well. Okay. So speaking of Windows, um, health Insure Anthem has been hacked. We're just going to sort of touch on that. Is that not a good transition? That was a good transition. No, this is good. Thank yeah. you. Guys. Yeah. Yes. Nobody <laughs> so, else seemed to get it. Yeah, uh, I read
1: the article today, and you know, yeah, it, it was like eighty million people got uh, data exposed. I think even their CEO had information that uh, yeah. got leaked out. Um, you know, and it definitely, you know, you look at some of the things they're talking about. And I think it costs about a hundred dollars per incident for the company. So you have to think about, man, that's a lot of a lot of cash those guys mm-hmm. have to do to remedy the situation. So it just goes to prove to you too. You know, it, whether you're a consumer or like these people, big organizations or, or, or um, you know publicly traded, you know, insurance companies, to make sure that you're using some type of security, data security, uh, mm-hmm. at rest and in flight, uh, both on the network side and and on the data uh, storage side.
2: Yeah. I feel like in this day and age, we should have some kind of two-factor authentication for anything that uses social security numbers. Yeah, because I mean, it's so important. Like you apply for a credit card, you put in your social security number. You apply for pretty much anything. Yeah, I think important. two-factor
1: authentication, like you're saying, is totally is is, is, is a good thing. I that think we way, need to have it more. It
2: wouldn't be as big of a deal if somebody stole your social security number, whereas right now, if somebody stole my SSN, I'd be pretty upset. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, and, oh, it's you just, don't have my password, so you can't do anything. It has with it to be in.
1: easy enough to to use, and we have to use it on some device that everyone has. And I'm holding my phone, thinking this is probably the easiest way, like doing some type of two two-factor authentication with like, you know, text or text messaging or some type of application. I know Google has the Google Authenticator, which is a two-factor authentication mm-hmm. app. Yeah. I don't use it. I, I probably should. You should but um it's just one of those things it's like it needs to be easy, easy enough to where people will use
0: yeah yeah and um <clears throat> i i think i put an article on uh, com or com about um a a enterprise trying to get rid of passwords altogether and just do different factors of authentication um so maybe like a finger scan and a face recognition thing kind of as a two factor mm-hmm. yeah you know just to get rid of passwords so then right. you don't have to even worry about
1: it well and, and that's exactly right i mean either that or you know convince you know it's still out and, you know we all as it professionals are using strong passwords uh or Hopefully. passwords that we can't remember meaning they're like you know this long yeah and uh, last pass like last pass <laughs> one password you know that, that stores it so we don't remember these passwords so if someone holds us up and says give me your password in the CVS parking lot, you'll be like, I don't know what it is.
0: Does that happen to you a lot, Will, or from
1: time to time? Jeez,
0: nasty out there, guys. So anyway, <laughs>
1: well, I think what we're going to do is, is one of the next podcasts coming soon. We'll actually just center on security, yeah, and that include you know network security, data security, common sense security, you know, this type of thing. Yeah,
0: sounds uh, sounds awesome. And speaking of security and networking, uh, the the ERO. <laughs> Has been announced. It's uh, an interesting little white box that uh, promises to change networking and Wi-Fi forever for the home. Dustin, what do you think? It's a new way
1: to (laughs) Wi-Fi.
3: That is what the marketing says. Uh, It does look just to be a mesh wireless for the home, which is something we've been doing on the enterprise side for many, many years. And it looks like it's now finally coming to a point where this is going to become table stakes in the consumer environment. So it's... it is your standard mesh Wi-Fi, but now made easy enough for the consumers to use. Um, looks like a great product. Uh, I have not gotten a chance to get my hands on it yet, but uh, looks good.
0: Is it worth so- 300 bucks for three of them?
2: I think it's like a 120. Well, I think one, that's, that's right? yeah, pre-order it's run, too, yeah. Yeah. which is order. another tax. which is another reason
1: why I don't like this company is they mm-hmm. want to lure you in with cheap pricing and then like you bet you know you better get it now because and it's pre-order I can't go actually well I can't order it and it actually come in yeah. I got to pre-order it then wait God knows how long, um, you know and then they're like well, we better order now because when when it, when it when it, when, it, when, it, when the pre-order time is up it's going to be full price and you know it's so expensive, um. I agree with Dustin, and Dustin actually said something that's spoken like a true network engineer. I said Mm -hmm. engineer. Um, You know, this is, I think a lot of this is marketing. Um, I could be wrong, and I hope I'm wrong, and I hope this is some type of really, you know, as they say here, new way to Wi-Fi. It seems to me it's just a regular AC router. It's running two point, it's running two gigahertz and five gigahertz antennas. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, I think it could be a good thing. I think uh, we'll it's, see.
2: It's really supposed to make this a lot easier for people that aren't like the people in this room, correct? And probably a lot of the listeners right. too, because I mean, you can see that they try to make it easy to let like, guests on the network. Like, you download their app, and it'll it'll text. You can like text your friend like uh, a link to join the network or something, and like the password and the SSID are all encapsulated in there. Yeah, and I like you don't, that. You don't have to edit or like actually give out a password. I mean. Consumer routers do that today. You can set up a guest network. Yeah. But But you have have to to, know how to do it. You have to know how to do it. And you have to be
1: like, oh, what was that password? Mm -hmm. And if you've got a password that is this long, then uh, you're going to have to sit there telling someone, type this in. And they're like, you know, frustrated. I I wish my Apple.
3: I think a lot of the improvements that are going to be coming down the pipe in this arena and others are going to be new ways to make the software that runs the appliance easier to use. So a lot more. User usability is going to – or ease of usability is going to come into these products as we get more and more software integrated into things that were previously uh, hardware boxes with, you know, difficult-to-configure interfaces. Uh, so I think that's where a lot of this technology is going to be going into is, is really making it a very slick experience for the end user. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I do like the fact that you can actually send a text message saying, "Hey, are you joining my Mm Wi-Fi?" Yeah, that's really cool because I mean, I I, and I just bought a an Apple AC router, the Airport Extreme that looks like a lamp, (laughs) (laughs) kind of. It's like it's kind of tall. It sits Mm -hmm. on a desk, Um, and I've got great performance from it. I mean, I'm my my speeds are great. I love it. It it looks it looks pretty. Mm but I wish it did something like this, you know. Yeah. That it had.
0: I mean, my my only reservation about something like this is: what are the odds that when you actually pre-order, you actually get it in? What are the odds that it just well, doesn't work? You see, right? and that's and the other thing. What do you do?
1: That's the other thing. If you look at this company, I think the it's like fifteen guys, yeah. that make up the entire company. So that's cool and all, but what happens in a year from now or two years from now? I mean, I guess what these people are trying to do is. You know, hey, we're going to come out with this really cool technology. Please, I hope some other bigger company acquires us, right? Because that's kind of what most of these, you know, Silicon Silicon Valley, uh, Bay Area people try to do. Is and I don't mean that in a bad way, but you know, hey, let's get it to a certain level and then and then uh, then sell out. Uh, I hope that's not the case. And, you know, really, I think in the end of the day, it's going to have to, you know, we'll see. It Mm -hmm. may be something that I'm replacing my Apple Airport uh, Extreme with.
0: Well, I mean, mesh networks are are proven things, right? They're good. Yeah. So, I mean, as long as they can get the actual Eero product simple enough for the average consumer to use, then this is going to be a good thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Maybe Apple will buy them. I was thinking Google uh, actually. Apple, Apple routers yeah. are already pretty
2: easy to set up though, aren't they? They're very easy yeah, to set I mean, up. That's um
1: you know, I could open up my Airport Extreme we and don't, show everybody, do but, all that, will. but yeah, <laughs> right. uh, they're very easy to set up, but I will say they're also they don't have as many features right, as other that, routers though. do. And this but, router uh, also hmm?
2: I'm sure this won't have a whole lot of features either, but the point is supposed to be that it's easy to use. Well,
1: this is true. This is true, but it also it runs DD WRT? Does it? A firmware. Did we confirm that? That we have. Okay. And what they do is that's their base firmware, and then they've got code on top of it to do all the snazzy stuff with like sending invites and this type of thing. Um, they also said that if you wanted to replace that, it's open where if you want to just go back to stock DDWRT, you put it on it and there it is. But you lose some of this extra cool f- feature functionality. So, hmm. um, yeah, you know, the Apple Airport Stream. It does cool stuff. You can hook printers up to it, um, uh, what do you call it, hard disks, this type of stuff. You can extend it with other airport mm-hmm. devices, but that's about it. It does your basic router features, net, um, port forwarding, that type of thing. But from other features that some of these new advanced routers have, like ASUS or uh, Netgear, mm-hmm. actually will do like software-based or hardware-based VPNs. There's a lot more functionality. Mm-hmm. Your typical user probably won't need that, but
0: – yeah. I- It'd be really cool if, you know, maybe Google acquired it and then it could integrate with Nest and you know, when you connect to your Wi Fi, turn up or down the temperature via an You an what I yeah. like that. Yeah.
1: So talking about other cool stuff, we'll talk about something that we is near and dear to my heart that kinda kinda felt kinda bad when it happened was this week or last week. Radio Shack announced that they filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And um, I think what it is is just due to falling sales, not having people in the stores. Uh, I think they're doing a deal with Sprint where Sprint is going to take over some of the stores and actually kind of have a co-store. But uh, the Radio Shack, as we know it, probably will be changing. We'll probably have some local stores close. Which is kind of sad. Uh, you know, I was thinking about my childhood, you know, as I grew up. Radio Shack was the place to go to get things like uh, the little home kits, the Heath kit things that you could put together, mm-hmm. little springs that you pull the spring back, put in the put in the cable, close it, and then go make your circuit board and all this kind of stuff. You know, where in County, Nine, I'll go get a breadboard if I want to or, you know. A crystal diode. I don't know if I can get this anymore. Exactly. Probably not locally, I didn't say no. crystal meth. I said crystal diode. Uh, I don't so know right. where to get crystal meth, but that's <laughs> just a joke. It's just a joke. Wow. Just a joke. That's but um, why he gets mugged for his password. <laughs> what does Will do on his free time? Yeah. We don't know. But um, yeah, I mean, you yeah. know, I, I think about. I mean, I was talking with Philip uh, before mm-hmm. we came in, and we talked about. Back in the day, uh, when he was remembering, he remembered remember the that. QCat. Yeah, I was so excited. Which people? I remember people lined <laughs> uh, up to get these things. They were yeah. free, right? Yeah, cheap yeah, it was it was scanner. this
2: free, cheap barcode barcode scanner that they gave out for free. It like plugged into your PS2 port, and then the mouse plugged into the back of that. Or something. Oh, really? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was back before USB ports were popular, so I mean, they had to. I mean, they had to have it somewhat kind of way to get it. Oh anywhere, yeah, so. yeah. Oh, wait.
1: No, That looks like they did come PS2 out with the PS2 and a USB. I guess yeah. later on they, they improved right. their technology on the DCAT <laughs> and uh, had a USB compliant. I guess it would be usable. USB 1.1. Whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, it was I doubt this is before a 2.0 hit the market. This is a long time ago. But I remember those are – man, they, you, can, you could not get those. I plugged
2: that into my Packard
1: Bell computer, so this Ooh, was a long time ago. That is a long time Jeez. ago. Yeah. The other thing that I had was uh, an Armatron. Y'all remember those? no um, nope. um, um Will's oh aging yeah so now. this was basically like, a useless yeah. device <laughs> basically uh, okay. just like the Qcat perfect yeah. <laughs> nice um, Qcat was very useful they, they, they <laughs> came up
3: with there was an explosion of tools to make use of barcodes at the time there were so many people that wrote various tools to uh, inventory really? equipment or to just Didn't do some that? very yeah it, it was huh. very nice it's kind of when the uh you know the barcode scanning market really took off eventually, which became your your scanners on your phones. Um, but right. yeah, absolutely, people use. There was an explosion of uses. So what wow. you're
1: saying is, if we didn't have the QCAT, we would not have barcode scanner phone yeah. software. <laughs> well, that well, would have came. Eventually, the world would have been uh, a different I'm go place. Pull that QCAT out of my closet. You <laughs> okay, of my do you house? still have it, dude? We can I eBay think, that and make a I killing. I think part, I do still have a QCAT. So the the Armatron. I guess we need to have a video. That is not me on the box. (laughs) It (laughs) It could be me on the box. But I had one of these, and I loved it. Uh, It's basically a base with a robotic arm sticking out. And what you did is you had two little little joysticks that you could actually move uh, forward, back, right, and left, and then turn the knob to uh, spin the hand and then close the pincers. This and what you would do so is, freaking cool. you would just sit there and do stuff. Now, toward the end of this thing's life, I would make it whole firecrackers and like pop it in the hand, and <laughs> other things that kids do at that age. And eventually, it, I think it got, by incin- that age, I, think it got 30. I think it got incinerated in some <laughs> form or fashion, but. uh this is my memories of, of Radio Shack was being able to go in and get this world of electronics and gadgets and things you can build and make. And it's like, oh, man. I just
0: – I don't know how Radio Shack went bankrupt with items like that. I mean, <laughs> well, all right,
2: but have any of you guys actually been to a Radio Shack in the last 10 years? No. Yeah, Yes. Yeah.
0: I actually went in one um, last last year maybe, I think, <laughs> to go look. I was out of headphones, and I was like – it was the only store around, and I was like, oh, yeah, going radio. There was just nothing
1: in
2: there. Has anyone had a pleasant experience at Radio Shack in the past Uh, 10 years? No. Because I have not.
1: So the last time I went to Radio Shack was I have a Pebble watch, and I needed to get a very, very small screwdriver – to unscrew this to take and change the band
0: right amazon man so no no i wanted to do it that day i
1: I have a problem with instant gratification so Uh, i mm -hmm. wanted to go get it now that's
0: why they got the drones so
1: so i went (laughs) so i went to radio shack and uh went to go look for a small screwdriver that's the first place i thought of hey i can get this at radio shack went there saw that this one screwdriver was like 18 bucks decided to go to walgreens find the same thing and just went home so that's probably some of radio shack's problem (laughs)
2: yep Radio Shack is expensive and you know I, I haven't really gotten great service there well you it's, know I, I think it's I think it's I a,
0: a, 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 a cause of a, um, a a pandemic I guess going around in the retail space now right retail cannot be just a place where you go and pick up an item and buy it because you go online for that right yeah mm-hmm. there's there's no reason to, to not do that
2: unit um, experience exactly just like the
0: Apple Store. I'm, yeah. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. The Apple Store is an experience. There's really nothing to just go out and buy there. There's tons of things to do yeah. at the Apple Store. Mm-hmm. And when it first opened around here, I know my parents were like, "Hey, uh, we should probably go to the Apple Store to so go check out <laughs> some of the stuff." Mm-hmm. Not, not to actually buy anything. Yeah. just to go check it out. All of my friends did. Yeah. that. yeah. And I think well, that's well, what Radio Shack. That. You know,
2: nobody goes to Radio Shack to just check. Like, exactly. I'm like, go to Radio they, Shack, guys. Yeah,
0: exactly. They didn't oh, look at the They didn't adapt to this new. No, retail. you're absolutely yeah. right. I used mm-hmm.
1: to mean that back in the day, people did because yeah. there wasn't that you didn't have Apple stores and mm-hmm. Microsoft kiosks. I'll put up yep. say that, you know. Uh, it was Radio Shack, and that was it. Yeah, and when you want, and, and us tech guys, when we wanted to get cool stuff or was building a project or whatever, Arduino kits, you can get it at Radio Shack. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the only place,
0: well, like Comp USA, maybe.
1: So we'll pour a little bit of <laughs> poor little bit of, uh, RID, yeah, yeah, yeah. Way. But you cannot buy electronics yeah, true. at uh, – like if I needed a resistor or something. Yeah. You know, sometimes I just need a resistor. <laughs> I couldn't get it at, at, at uh, CompuSite. <laughs> it's got to feed that habit, right? Yeah, Resistors. So speaking of, speaking of consumer feeding consumer technology – Of feeding habits. Of feeding habits. Right. Right. Um, Consumer. One of our topics, our first topic for today is uh, consumer backup options. And this is for the people at home, the moms, the pops, mm-hmm. even us tech people who necessarily need to have some type of online backup or home backup, software-based backup. Uh, there's tons of online backup, um, you know, uh, products to use. Right. Uh, Venue has its own, Restored VM. Yep. Uh, well, Restored IT and the Restored IT Suite. But uh, for home users, a lot of times we have to look at what's out for the consumer. Mm-hmm. And for myself, uh, I mean, did you want to talk about anything else before we get into the list? Or, um, So
2: what I use uh, – rather, so what I wanted to bring up first is that, you know, the general uh, consensus on backups is you should always have three copies of your data, the local copy, a local backup copy, and then something online. Yeah. So that's why we bring up, you know, the cloud um, the cloud backup, but uh, so for local backups, I think we we can pretty much agree that anyone with a Mac should probably be using Time Machine. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it's weird because we were talking about this before the podcast. That nobody really seems to use the the built in backup and restore on Windows, but um, that, yeah. that, the the backup suite on Apple, I mean, it, it's so good. Like I've been using Time Machine since it came out. You just plug in a disk and you just let it do its thing. I mean it. It keeps many copies as long as the disk will hold. It deduplicates right. the, the data. And I, I've restored it. I've restored from Time Machine backups like four or five times over the years. And like I haven't reinstalled OS X since I've got my Mac in 2007. My, my, well, one of my last Macs. And it, it's been perfect.
1: Yeah. One of the things I like about Time Machine is the fact that you can plug, as you were saying, plug in a hard drive to it. And do your local backups Mm -hmm.
2: or Wi-Fi
1: hard drive, yeah, at at USB 3.0 speeds or whatever. And uh, if you have a Time Capsule or which is basically a time machine with a hard disk installed, or just some type of network attached storage, Mm -hmm. uh, you can use that and backs up when you get to your home network and plug in and get connected. Um, I've also had good use of using uh, Carbon Copy Cloner and SuperDuper for doing backups. And what these do is these actually create bootable images for your Mac. So mm-hmm. um I and I definitely think you need to have two types of technologies for using backups. I use uh Time Machine for most everything. Mm-hmm. But then once a month or twice a month I do a Carbon Copy Cloner image and I put this offline. And this is where you know hey if, if perchance there was a problem with Time Machine and it's corrupted and I didn't know about it, right. I can still go back to this other other class backup. In fact, some people run both at the same time and it works very good together. And then I, at the end of the day, I also do just, you know, maybe once a month or every few months, I just do a copy of my user directory with everything inside. And I mm-hmm. put this on uh, just a regular folder. So I've got backups that are tied to software packages like Time Machine, Carbon Copy Cloner, Duper, and then just regular old offline data files. Right. And, of course, I have a ton of hard disks laying around that I have to manage, but um, – Things that I can't replace, like photos, I, 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 it's most important to me to have good, reliable backups. Do you mm-hmm.
2: guys use, uh, like, OneDrive or Google Drive or anything like that to that's, keep your – That's pretty much what I use, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, I just – I have I have a, um, a hard drive, kind of an external hard drive, and I also have a, a Google Drive account that I just keep anything that's important.
2: Right. I think that's why I don't do something like, like Will does where he keeps his uh, – Will keeps his, like, user folder – backed up with a Carbon Copy Cloner. And, I mean, I don't... I, I used Carbon Copy Cloner one time ever to get a backup of my original iBook before I, like, switched over to my MacBook Pro. And I think I still have that backup somewhere. Wow.
1: That's cool. Yeah. Dustin, what do you use?
3: I use Time Machine,
2: and then I use
3: uh, Dropbox as well for all my uh, quick access, quick access documents that I could access... Regardless of which device I'm on, yeah. Um, so I really like the fact that Dropbox publishes all my documents everywhere. The you know stores actually a local copy as well to where I do not need to be online. Um, Time Machine, what I'd really like the, that to see them integrate uh, would be an iCloud version of your Time Machine backup, to where oh, you back up cool. to your Time Machine and then it would export that data over Wi-Fi or over the network. And uh, get that up into iCloud. That way, uh, you know, you don't have to have that. If you ever lose your entire setup, you could download a copy from the cloud. That so would be really cool. I would yeah. like to see them implement something like that. Yeah.
1: So for Windows, I mean, as you were saying, uh, Philip, that, you know, people use the, in, the, in, the uh, embedded or pre-installed Microsoft Backup and Restore. It's, it's handy. It works reasonably well. Oh, nice. uh, another package I've had use of is Acronis. Cronus. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be a pretty good backup tool. And then back in the day, we all—I'm sure everyone here—used Ghost, and would make Ghost mm. images of their files, uh, <laughs> kind of like how you do a Super Duper. Yeah. I don't know if Ghost actually exists anymore. I guess it I does. It's they, owned by Symantec. I think
2: they discontinued the Ghost product. I'm not 100
1: sure. Man, Radio Shack's gone. Ghost is gone. We just—you know—it's—it's. It's, I mean, also on Windows,
2: they have the the file file versioning where you turn it on and it like keeps. Copies of your files, and you can go to the previous versions tab right. on a file and VSS, you have, you have, right? Yeah, you have to turn that on, but that's another option you have in Windows.
1: Well, that's cool. So as we were saying, with you know Time Machine and Time Capsule having these uh, drives that are online at home, uh, mm-hmm. that kind of leads us into our next topic of personal cloud personal storage options. Cloud storage options, and uh, I'll rec- i recently purchased one of these, uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago. I bought the 3-terabyte uh, Western Digital MyCloud device and I was going into – so what I did is I had a problem with my, time, my old time capsule. and I really didn't have a problem. I just wanted an AC router. So I told my wife, yeah, i got a problem with our Wi-Fi. We need something new. She doesn't listen to this podcast. I can get away with this. <laughs> so I'm going to Best Buy and I pick up a, an AC router and I got the one that's, that's not integrated with time capsule. It's just a plain Jane router because after talking to people and thinking about things, I'm like, I don't want to have hard disk in with my router want have right. it separate. So I bought a um, an AC router, an Apple TimeCap, uh, time, um, Apple Airport Extreme, and as I was looking for hard disks, I found this network attached storage device. And it's a single drive, but what I like about it is it does DLNA, and it actually has where you can create users, shares, permissions. All on this device, and it's just basically like a My Cloud, you know, like a little MyBook disk, except plugs into your gigabit Ethernet uh, on your home router.
0: That's very exciting.
1: Are you being? Are you being? Are you making fun of me? <laughs> no, no, I'm not.
0: I'm actually saying it's very exciting.
1: It, it, <laughs> it's, it's very exciting because because <laughs> with this device, it's not only great for like sh- you know having now a server at home that I can write data to and share data. Is yeah. now um, when I'm sitting behind on my couch watching to watch wanting to watch movies. The DLNA server, which stands for Digital Living Network Appli- Alliance, by the way, um, I can stream these devices. So on my phone, I can watch movies that are sitting at home. Um, mm-hmm. When I'm on the road, if I want to watch a movie that's sitting on my home server, I just open the app and watch my movies. Yeah, it's very cool. When I'm on my um, you know, my television now with Roku, I can stream to it. So anything that talks DLNA, Xbox 360, mm-hmm. uh, this works. <clears throat> the… Um, the other version of the the software uh, of the of the product has one that actually is mirrored so the, the one that I bought is a single drive and uh, as I started using it I was like really what I want to do is I want to start using this for everything not just movies and things that you know if we went away I'll have another copy somewhere but I actually want to have this as my primary data location so they make one that's mirrored which is um, it's got two disks inside that have duplicate copies okay, oh, okay. raid raid uh, RAID one. Um, Thanks for your expertise, <laughs> Dustin. No problem. And this is where the network engineer just throws down on the <laughs> system engineer. Uh, it, I, look, I've had to, I've had look, I'm under the weather, and I've you know had some. But I, hey, some... but
0: at least you're here.
1: Yeah, at yeah. least I'm. I came he, to this. He's here. So so I like the Western Digital. It really does a good job at this. Um, but if I was really so, having me start thinking about storage solutions at home and having fault tolerance and multiple redundancy, I started looking at some of the uh, technology from Synology, which is – we're all familiar with that. We use it here at the data center for certain things to move data from maybe client networks and so on and so forth. They're basically two-drive or more storage array networks. And they're affordable. Um, some of the ones that actually start out with one drive or two drives are like 230 bucks, 240 bucks. Uh the one that's for for 240 actually comes with a 3 terabyte drive Now, it's a single drive the other version has two disks or two bays that you can put your own disks in and that's like $221 so very affordable and then on up to the like the Synology disk stations which um, up to you know $1000 for these things but these things are like mini literally mini sans you have eight eight bays you can um, tolerate two disk failures so very robust, and I think that's eventually what I'm going to go get. The thing I like about the Synologies are, is the software that runs on these things, right? Mm-hmm. So the Western Digital does its thing, and it does good for what I'm using it for, but the Synologies really have the capability of running websites, sure, the DLNA stuff and the media sharing, but a lot of other technology. Um, even to go as far as doing like video surveillance capture points where if you have cameras at home, the cameras can then write to the device, mm-hmm. so very flexible.
2: That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, it, it, this is extreme, <clears throat> extremely exciting. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it's really exciting because uh, I was actually looking for something that uh, would allow me to kind of share and transfer pictures between myself and my wife just freely, right? Without yeah. without having to say, okay, well, I just got these pictures and now I'm gonna send them to you. We do the the Google backup. So the pictures get backed up to Google Drive automatically, um, but you still have to share them with somebody else in order for them to have access to them. Yeah. Um, so this is a great option for that, and it's a great option to share media and to share files like that between multiple people in one house. You know.
1: Right now, you know, if now you guys aren't iOS users, right? You're Android.
0: Well, I have an iPhone, and my wife has an Android. Yes.
1: OK. So you're living in a mixed household. It's a mixed household. You have a mixed relationship there. Yeah. So one good thing about – so I was going to say if you had that, just use iCloud PhotoShare, which you can actually right. – you, you create a, a private you know, area for you and your wife and you share your photos. But if you're living in a mixed mixed environment like that the,
0: – The Google does well because you do – you can't share much like that, but uh-huh. you do have to go in and share the new pictures kind of as they get backed up. You don't have to, yeah. you can't
3: share at a folder level, so share the parent folder and then that would automatically allow them access to everything underneath. That's
0: possible. I've not tried that. It's
3: what I do with Dropbox. So I have a, a, a photos folder in my Dropbox, yes. and if I want to share that with anybody, uh, if they're on my Dropbox account, it automatically gets shared. So that may be the case in, yeah. in your situation. Uh, with people with other Dropbox accounts, I just right-click the folder and adjust my sharing options to add a group of people. Yeah,
0: because I, I have all of my pictures in just floating, yeah, and I've been sharing them in groups. You know. and the,
1: and the thing with a lot of these things like Dropbox, uh, Flickr, mm-hmm. uh, and I think Google as well, I know I know Google, is when you take the photo, it actually automatically sends it up to your cloud. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. that's kind of cool. So your if your phone gets lost or stolen – uh, you've got your photos off off the phone, yep, but I like the I like the idea of having this actually not going to the not going to the cloud and actually going to my home network. Yes, and um, that's kind of a nice option. You know, you, you can use all these online services, but it, I kind of like it being going home inside my premises. Do these
0: have any connectors to online services? So, have you found any?
1: I haven't found any. I, the the Western Digital My Cloud app that you get for the phone allows you to connect. To uh, these these third party uh, okay. providers, but it's not like it integrates fully with it. I think the Synology is probably the one that's going to offer something like that. Cool. Uh, and and the thing I like about Synology is it's basically a computer. Yeah. Running um, software for multi protocols, multi things you can do with it, and it's always at, uh, being updated. Mm-hmm. The other thing is there's actually a like an app store that you can actually go and download applications for the Synology to then provide different various services. As I said, even running websites, you know, FTP servers, mail servers off of your storage array. So that's really cool.
0: Very neat. Um, okay, so speaking of running websites and networking. I love you your transitions, these man. These
2: segways are just <laughs> – No? Uh, so we're
0: going to talk, talk to Dustin a little bit about the Nanog. Dustin, can you explain to us what NANOG is? I
3: don't know if I could say it like that. Oh, no? NANOG, NANOG. That's pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> so that is a—it's a, the a North American Network Operators Group conference. It's a—it's a conference of all your network operators around the country, your major network operators. So your all your internet service providers, your content providers uh, such as Google, Amazon, Netflix, uh, and various data center companies such as Venue, Yeah, uh, RackSpace, others such as that. And uh, they all get together and, uh, you know, come up with, discuss the problems that we're experiencing in the industry and a lot of the various solutions that, various, that, that we've come up with in yeah. the, uh, the different companies. And it's a, a chance for us to share those solutions and kind of improve the community as a whole. So uh, it, it was a very nice conference. It was held out in San Antonio, Texas, right near the Alamo. Oh. Did, did you see the Alamo while you were there? Or I or? did, I did. Yeah, did nice. you remember the Alamo? <laughs> I actually, I sent that exact picture with uh, to a bunch of my buddies asking if they remembered. So, uh.
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> Was that on the on the uh, Riverwalk? Yeah, San it's right, oh, by, yeah, the it's river right warm, by the Riverwalk. So it's nice. such a good location.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a really good location. Good time of year too. Well, if you like if you like cold weather, it's a good time of year. So, yeah, we were saying, like, some of the highlights, and you were saying, as I, we, we were talking earlier in the Cube, while we were in our Cubes and in, in Office area about, you know, what are some of the highlights. and
3: I loved it. it. You know, as a network geek myself, uh, it was something that was very satisfying and very worthwhile. Uh, we got to talk about some very public things, like some of the common carriage uh, things that are going on in the Internet, where you have your Comcast and Netflix kind of fighting over who's to pay for some of the bandwidth that's going on. And so it's it's you know there was a very heated discussions about uh, should the internet become a a common carrier in a sense to where it's uh, treated as a utility and there's no way that a Comcast or somebody else can kind of prioritize or, or deprioritize Netflix traffic over their own say if they wanted to start up some type of content streaming service that they would give themselves uh, preferential treatment so there's a lot of discussions these days about. Should should we transition the internet into a utility service and regulate it, uh, just like a lot of our current utilities are today?
1: Was Al Gore there? He was not because you I know he graded not. the internet.
3: He did. Hey, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to downplay. Just like Al Gore.
1: Apple came out with an SC. That's just a joke. Never mind. Will. Uh, <laughs>
0: womp womp. <laughs>
1: No, that's that's really cool. I mean, it's it's interesting to see people getting together talking about these things that affect yeah. us every day. You know, I mean, the internet and things like this, it touches everyone's lives in some capacity. So,
0: and the and the utility internet discussion—that's a huge discussion that is probably yeah. for another podcast altogether yeah. because that's ginormous. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: We'll have to have Dustin back on to talk mm-hmm. about some other things, and definitely if you know if you if you'd like to participate in our security one, that would be great. Anyway, guys, I think that's about it for today. Yep, that's, um, uh,
0: that's it. Um, please uh, please go to our podcast and download it and give us reviews and ratings. Yes. Um, I'll take four stars. You'll take four? I'll take four. Oh, yeah.
1: come on. I want, look, if we're going to do this, we're going to go all the way. Okay. We want five stars. Oh, five stars then. Never I'm, I'm going to go rate us uh, a few I've minutes. already I'll rated You've already rated us? I'll
3: settle for four and a half. Yes. Four and a yeah, half.
0: That'll work. Uh, yes. Check it's us out. Uh, Venue.com. <laughs> Takethenextturn.com. Com, at Venue on Twitter, and uh, we'll have all the host Twitter IDs in the show notes.
1: But I think we should go around. I am at W Sellers.
0: Oh <laughs> <laughs> I'm at Philip DeStefano. I'm at Joshua
1: CB. And Dustin, do you, are you on Twitter?
0: I am not. On, well, I, I am on
3: Twitter. I have never... Really gone in there and and posted any content. Uh, I am not a big social media guy. Uh, I'll be honest.
1: Said like, again, said like a true engineer. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah.
0: Nice, nice. All
1: right, guys. I, I did
3: want to let you guys know regarding the Nanog conference. There is uh, on Nanog's website. If you're interested in any of the content that was discussed there, there is a, a complete list of all the various presentations as well as video presentations for most of the topics that were discussed. That is all going to be over at www.nanog.org, and then you can go into the Nanog 63 meeting, which is the one that was just held in San Antonio, and you can look at all the presentation files and videos.
1: Cool. We'll put those in the show notes. We will, Along with all the other interesting content content that we've covered over today.
0: (laughs) Yes, and so um, for venue and for all the motley crew here, (laughs) this is Josh. Philip. William. Dustin. Signing off.